Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Now, we're going to be talking today, continue on, we're going to be into chapter 3 today, and we're going through the, the book of Daniel, again, a little bit review, 6th century B.C., the, uh, Judah has been captured by the Babylonians, uh, the best of the best and many others have been pulled off in exile to Babylon. And the book of Daniel focuses on these four characters, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends. And so, you know, as we we look at this, I I would say the, the, the thing you'll notice in this the whole way through is this place of the king. Who is their king when they're in exile? When they're in a land that doesn't have the same values at all. Who's their king? And I'm thinking that a verse that they constantly were thinking about, that they would have known was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is the Lord, He is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might, above all else. And that is really what's getting challenged all the way through here. Like we talked about last week, our DNA, the way we're designed by God, just makes, we are designed to worship, and we're designed to worship one true God, the, our creator. And that is how we flourish, and this is what's being challenged. And if we don't, because we're going to worship something, if we worship other things to try to fill that spot, it will put us in bondage and actually keep us from the one true God and the, the blessing he has for us. And so, as we go through this time, just be thinking about that. Now, sovereignly, God has placed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this place of influence and power. Again, we talked about the place of sovereign. He's, they're there. They're teenagers, if you can imagine that. And uh, they're put in this place, and they're brought into the king's court. They're given authority by the king and favor that God gave them. He's sovereign working. What's really interesting is we, we watch how they operate under this kingdom, and we can see things that we see in Jesus as well, but we see this place of they're under the reign and the authority of this kingdom, and if you think about being a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, and you get pulled from your parents out of your house, and they go and they desecrate the temple and steal things, and now you're under this evil king, every human strategy would be drag your feet, figure out a way of revenge and justice, stand against and defy the king. And yet what we watch is all four of these men not doing that at all. They were very clear that Nebuchadnezzar was not a good person. (laughs) They were very clear that he had raised himself up in pride, that he was a dangerous person to be around, but they looked for his benefit, and they looked for the Babylonians' benefit. You know, Jeremiah told them, when you're in the land, pray for the land that you're in. Pray for the governments that you're in, and become a part of bringing blessing and being this place that we always talk about, being light in the darkness, being salt that that ends up expanding, being yeast that keeps going. I mean, all those kind of things, those analogies of the kingdom, we see in what we see in Daniel 
and his three, three friends. Now, today we're going to, there's, there's, this, this chapter is like, a, is a pastor's nightmare because there's like seven good sermons out of one chapter. So we're going to have, a, I'm, I'm being very disciplined. I'm narrowing it down a little bit, but I encourage you maybe to look over. There's many more things we could talk about, but we're going to be talking about God being faithful. You know, uh, God being faithful. That word faithful is often used in kind of odd ways. I mean, we have old faithful, you know. It, uh, for 135 years, this thing just has gushed water. People pay to go see it because it's always consistent. It's like amazing how faithful it is. When it's, actually, it's quite off. It goes between 50 and 90 minutes. So you might sit there a long time, but it's relatively faithful. <laughs> you know, faithfulness is, is really underrated of, of the power of just any kind of faithfulness, right? I mean, have you guys ever this feeling when your electricity goes off or water goes off and you just like realize, oh my gosh, it was just faithfully there every time, you know? Have you had those cars, you had the difference between a good car and a bad car, a faithful car that starts in the middle of winter and the ones that don't? It's like, oh, I love faithfulness. It's a beautiful thing, right? And so we think of faithfulness, but then where faithfulness really becomes a powerful thing is when it comes to the place of relationships and trust in relationships, right? This is where we see the power. Whether we experience this or not, we can know how powerful it is to have faithful parents to us as parents, right? We know how powerful it is to have a faithful friend. We know how powerful it is to have a faithful spouse. And so we understand that, but especially... In this relationship with the God that we serve, we have to understand how powerful it is to have a God that is, is good and faithful, perfectly faithful. It's, it is dramatic how that affects you. Now, look at these verses. For the Lord is good, his his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. He is the rock. His words are perfect. And all his ways are just a faithful God who does no wrong, upright in all he does. You know, I was, if you were raised in a church with hymns, you might have sang, Great is. Next. Well, we have a few people here. A little some history in that. All right. I think I better help you here. Okay. <laughs> Great is your faithfulness. O oh God, my Father, there is no shadow or turning in thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou shalt ever be. His faithfulness never changes. Vineyard version. Newer church version. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All the days of my life, I've been held in your hands. From the, I've been thinking on this too much. Sorry. Uh, from the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able 
I will sing of the praise, I will sing of the goodness of God. For you have led me through the fire. In the darkest night, you are closer than, you're, you're close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. I mean, faithfulness is, faithfulness is to speak, speaks of the very core of God's character. God is unchanging, therefore He can never cease to be what He is, and He will always be consistent with His righteous character. Whatever He says, it will continue on. Not for a short time, not until something shifts, for all of eternity. And I love it in Timothy. Well, what if we're not faithful? He remains faithful because he can't disown himself. Well, David, you've gone too far. I'm going to have to change my character and be unfaithful to you now. He doesn't do that. He remains faithful. And understanding this is, is huge. And so, you know, leading up, I want to have Stephen come up here in a second and read. Um, but before that, I'm going to just set it up a little bit. The first few verses, we're not going to go through the whole thing. I'm going to set up the first few verses of, of 12 verses. And, uh, you know, the thing about it is, if you, if you guys, I know you never watch series on Netflix where you just keep going to the next episode, next episode, next episode. But, you know, what happens is if you give any kind of gap between the episodes, you think, where was I before this? And it seems like now it's like you've got to have a chart to figure out what in the heck's going on these days. It's like, you know, it's like, well... And so they start, what they do, they say, previously on, right? And they, they have all these flashes of different things. Previously on, previously on Daniel. You know, they say, then they, they start showing these things. You know, they show the, the, the exile, they show this, you know. But then, and then they take you right to that very last, most important scene to remind you of what, where, where it ended, right? Remember where it ended in, in, in chapter 2? <laughs> oh, yeah, we have King Nebuchadnezzar on the ground worshiping God. <laughs> All right? And then the next episode comes up, chapter 3, and says, so many years later, we don't know how long. We don't know if it's right away. It was, you're probably a ways off, but, you know, things have changed quite a bit since chapter 2. Because now we have this king who is now the most powerful kingdom in the world, and he's the king, and he begins deciding he's going to build this large statue. Now, if you look up here, I've been there with the ladder during the model. 23 feet, right? Take it times four. We got a big statue with a nine-foot base, just covered with gold, reflecting. There's this thing that's been built. I mean, people are seeing it being built over time. This is big, right? And he puts it right outside the city. And he began saying, okay, everybody needs to come. So it's, it's pretty much like if you can imagine the Olympics, this is what it's like. Everybody travels there, everybody from all the provinces that they've overtaken, they've all come. All, anybody who's anybody, anybody who's authority, anybody who's power, any political power, governors, magistrates, anybody with a title is supposed to be on the front row. And then we probably have the people beyond that as well. And, he, and then they have this, this herald say, okay, here's the deal. All nations with all language, 
there's going to be this big, loud band playing, and when the music starts, you bow down, and you must bow down. And very much like Nebuchadnezzar, in his kind way, says, and if you don't, you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. All right. And so the music sounds, and most people bow, but we know at least three that did not, at least were seen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood. They knew clearly what this meant, and they probably knew what was coming next. And Stephen, why don't you come up and, and start in chapter 3, verse 13, right here in the front. Oh, you can do it anyway. <laughs> this happens every week. <laughs> I keep putting it down here, but I think up here must be better. I just trust God for that. All right. <laughs> there you go. Wait till the green light comes on. There you go. Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace." Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. 
Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What a story. <laughs> I mean, I've heard a lot of times, but every time you read it, it's like, whoa, that's a story. That's true story. You know what's interesting is the ending. It's just this response. It's just not what we're focusing on necessarily, but the king, gang was moved closer to Jesus, the king, moved closer to God, the king. And he was, but the thing about it is there's so much good about this response and so much messed up about this response. He's praising God. But we still see the depth of his pride. That he says, by the way, you follow this God. If you don't, I'll come in and do his justice for him and kill you if you don't. He doesn't understand God, but he's seen and tasted God. And we'll see how God is constantly pursuing him as we keep going through Daniel. So as we look at this, there's a couple things that, that came to mind here. As you go through this, is... Uh, you know, this place, they know right away, there's nothing they can say here. They know where this is going. They knew where this is going when they stayed, st stood up, right? And as you think about this kind of spot, there's lots of places we can go, but I want to kind of focus in on the, these two moments, right? The first moment is they're at this spot, they have to stand, and they know it's coming, and they understand the threat, and they choose to stand. Right? It wasn't a surprise when they got summoned to the king. As you start out with this, you start noticing that, you know, there's this place that what they're doing is faithfulness. Sometimes we, we put it in a category. We realize it is just an expression of faith. Faithfulness is. You know, in the vineyard we always say, you, how do you spell faith? You guys know that one? R-I-S-K. <laughs> how do you spell faithfulness? R-I-S-K. There's a place in which the faithfulness requires risk. And they say, yeah, because I know who God is, I will risk. Now, as we look at this, we start recognizing it starts out pretty calm. Nebuchadnezzar is also kind of like, okay, I'm going to go light here. So this first is this tone of voice is kind of like, we, got, we have a little problem on misunderstanding here. The way it works is the music plays, and you bow down, and we're good, which is amazing that that's what he's saying, because he's trying to give them some space for there. And it's interesting, <laughs> the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not like, how do we get along? It's like, this is a clear line, and I want you to understand that my God is well able to deliver me, but even if he does not, <laughs> I will never bow down. You know, I will never bow down to your God. And uh, so, but you understand that Nebuchadnezzar is, is, he is, he starts out with this nice way, <laughs> and, and then he, he goes at the end and he basically 
explains to them, okay, and if this doesn't happen a nice way, I'll throw you in the furnace. And then notice what he says, we're here at the end, then what God will be able to rescue from my hand. Do you notice the wording in that? It is, it's not, he's not saying what God will rescue from my gods. He's saying what God will rescue from my hands. Nebuchadnezzar's greatest idol was himself, of raising himself as God. And in that spot, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, this is a 14-year-old speaking to the most powerful person in the world who's just threatened with all his army to put him into a furnace. And he says, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And you can pretty well understand what's coming next because we understand what takes place with Nebuchadnezzar. And the thing about this is he throws them into the furnace. And we know the end of the story, they, they survive. But what's interesting here is we understand throughout history there are many followers of Jesus who have remained faithful to God and did burn up, that did get eaten by lions, that get destroyed. In fact, last year alone, Estimates are probably that over close to 6,000, well, probably a year before that, they got their data, probably 2020, it would be about 6,000 Christians were killed for reasons of their faith, and a good portion of those are when they had to decide to say, deny their faith, or to say, I will not deny Jesus. So we understand that. We understand that in Christian history, we understand it throughout history all the way through. And so, how was it that these teenagers who's been ripped from their families, been, been treated in this way, often hated by many of the people around them, watched their temple be desecrated and now being threatened, can get to a spot in which they say, God, you've I will faithfully follow you no matter what. Because <laughs> it's been a rough life. And as we think about this, is it could have been anything that could have happened at that point. They believed God was going to deliver them. But I, I'm always focusing on that spot of even if he doesn't. They, they were clear to decide that the question, that's the biggest question, is why stay faithful no matter what. But they did believe he would deliver them, and I'm not sure how they were thinking about that, but probably like even a grand fashion would be all of a sudden the king changes his mind, someone intervenes, something happens, the flames go out, something could be dramatic, right? It's like, this is, I like, every once in a while God goes big. I don't know, it's like, it's, it's a point that he knows it's necessary to go big, and here, here's where he goes big. Oh, this, okay. It, this is a fight of two kingdoms coming in against each other. This is two kingdoms colliding, kings and kings and colliding, and they just happen to be happening through three teenagers. But the bigger picture is this happening, there's a spiritual warfare going on here. 
And so as you think about this, is talk about big, magnificent miracle, seven times hotter. And you notice they talk about the clothing just because they say, pretty flammable people here, <laughs> sucking up smoke. I mean, they just make over like, because they're so amazed at the end, they're, they're making sure we understand they had clothes on and they had all this loose garment on and they went in there and it was seven times, just like, I can't believe this happened. And then the wildest thing though is they get thrown in there. And then there's this crazy thing that takes place is Nebuchadnezzar begins spotting enough people flame goes down. You see inside the furnace, and he goes, wait, didn't we have three? There's four. And so, the King Jesus decides to show up, which he does periodically throughout the Old Testament. You know, Jesus didn't start with Mary. He started at the very beginning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the time. And he makes appearances before his, his grand entry at Bethlehem. And this is one of them. And even the king, Nebuchadnezzar, sees that this is a godly person that it's like, I don't know how to put it, the, the, the son of gods is with them and he's walking around. Now, you know, the, the, uh, the Old Testament was translated into Greek at one period of time, back I think in the second or third century, I think it was. And they, and they basically, to help the Greek believers understand it, right, I'm Greek, Greek followers, and they understand the, that. And, uh, and in, in that, the same passage, even though it's not in Scripture, I like to think about it. They add into this passage, and they were walking around praising and singing hymns <laughs> to God. And we don't know if that's true, but it could be. I can see it very clearly. And it's a spotted, noticing a spot that they were free. The only thing that burned off of them is the thing that bounded them, bound them. And then they came out with no smoke. Now, the thing about this, when he sees this, he calls them out. And, uh, and then as he, as he calls them out, then we see his response that we talked about before. That he begins worshiping God and saying, this is a new religion. This is the way we're going to, this is the God of gods, right? Now, what we see in this passage, there's lots of things, but we're going to focus on it. We see faithfulness. We see that you can trust God. Now, some of you pay attention to your reaction when I say this. Do you believe this or not? You can trust God fully in every circumstance because God is always good and is always faithful. You can trust God in every circumstance because he is always good and always faithful. He will always be consistent with his righteous character. And the question we have is like, do you know that? I mean, I mean we, we like to be honest around here. Don't, oh, I guess, I, no. Do you know that? Because when you start understanding and knowing that, Life becomes very different. <laughs> you, you have a depth of security no matter what your circumstances are, just like these teenage kids did. And I'm guessing after this, this is the thing about faithfulness, once you experience it, 
you have more faithfulness and you show it and you experience it more. You know, we always talk about scriptures that we love because he first loved us. You know why we're faithful? Because he's faithful. That's how we get there. And when we put our weight on his faithfulness and realize he's faithful, we begin understanding that depth and it changes the way we live. You know, for me, uh, most of you think, for those who've been around the church, what's my verse? Wrong. That is one of my verses. The chapter John 4 is slightly more inspired than the rest of Scripture. But other than that, just teasing, no heresy here. So the reality of it is John 4 is a great, beautiful passage for understanding the kingdom and how we operate on this earth, and I love it, and you've got to read it. It's the best. But my life verse is Daniel 3, 17 and 18. That is my foundational verse, and Debbie and I's foundational verse. And because this is, I'd known Jesus for a long time, and I, I worshipped, and I thought, when I worshipped, here's how I usually worshipped, God, you're so faithful, and I would think of all the amazing times that circumstances went in an amazing direction, the times that God intervened and changed the situation, the times of great power, the times of great love, the times that I prayed and these things happened, I would think about them over and over as I would sing these songs. Well, Debbie and I were in a spot, which I won't go into all the details, most of you know already, but we were at a spot in our life that everything went sideways. Everything we believed God said would happen, it seemed to go the opposite direction. And it seemed like right about the time we were adjusted, it went another level and another level. And we were not doing well. And then we had some incidents that just crushed us. To the point I couldn't hardly function. And I remember as Debbie and I walked around the morning after this incident, remember exactly where we were. And I asked Debbie, do you still want to follow Jesus? And we didn't say, yes! We said, I guess so. That's all we said. And from that point on, this verse just popped into my mind. My God is well able to deliver me. I so desperately wanted that. But I had to make a decision like, what if he doesn't? And the question was, will I bow down to something else? Right? And I'm telling you, that something else looked really appealing. There's a lot of something else that I think this will relieve my pain. This will dull, this will help. But to do that, I had to be unfaithful. And it has been one of the most powerful moments that seems so boring on the outside, just like, whatever, okay, we won't turn away from God, we'll turn to him. 
That's it. But we didn't have any understanding of where it was going to take us to. In fact, we thought if it follows the same path that's been happening the last few years, it's going to get worse, maybe. I don't know. But I know he's well able to deliver me. I don't know if he will or not. And that was just honest faith. And I can look back and even tell you how redemptive things happen and all that, but that's not the point. The point is that choice at that moment. Is God good and is he faithful? And that's what they were facing. And their circumstances weren't ideal. It was pretty hard. So I say that because I think this is really how God wants us to understand faithfulness. It's not based on what the circumstances will take you to or the outcome. It's based on the person who is who he is. It's faith is based on the character of God, not particularly, even though we want to see God move and he does move, but our primary point is, will we focus on who God is and trust him that he's good and he's faithful, even when everything within us is like something's gone sideways here. And I can say now, in a whole different way. God is good and he's faithful. He's faithful in everything he said. He's faithful when you screw up horribly and walk away from him. He'll be faithful in receiving you with his grace and mercy. When you sin big, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's faithful when you're tired to give you rest. He's faithful in all that he promised. He's faithful in eternity. He's faithful in all the promises, and they're true. And so, part of the reason I choke up when I sing a song, because kind of, you kind of practice your sermons, and I think, oh my gosh, I've got to get this under control. Because every time I start <laughs> quoting this song, I thought, when I, when I sing that song now, I used to fight to not think, you guys ever sing that song and feel like a hypocrite? Like, oh, you aren't faithful. You know, all my life you've been faithful. You go, I don't know about, you know, I know what's really happening inside of some of you guys, right? I'm the same way. But now what I've done is I'm recognizing, no, he's faithful. And, I, and my mind goes to amazing moves that he's done in my life, dramatic things, these God moments, power moments, these things that God did, these amazingly supernatural blessings, the things that God has given me, every good gift just comes from God. I was thinking about all those things, but you know what I think about the most? Is going through the fire. And, and remember what it felt like in the middle of it and thinking, I'm not going to get out of this one. It won't work. And yet, I didn't do much, but I just said I won't turn to another God. And I look back, and that's all I was responsible to do. And God did the rest. All my life, he's been faithful. So, the worship team came up. Here's our invitation. It's a little bit long. And so you might take it home with you too. You know, we'll send it out or you can take a picture of it or something. But it's, it's something I'd like you to really reflect on. Reflect on both the times of blessing and the times of pain in your life where you experience the faithfulness of God. But also talk to God about painful times in your life that you may have caused you to question that God is faithful. God loves us to be honest with him. <laughs> That's where he moves. And then what things in your life are testing your faithfulness right now or maybe keeping you from God 
from loving God above all else. You can tell that I've gotten ahead of that. And here's the good news about God. He's faithful to come and help us. He's faithful to give us the power to do what we can't. He's faithful to come alongside of us.